with me. Lord, we thank you for what's already been a great morning. And God, we pray now as we look into your word that our hearts will be open. God, will have the discipline to listen and to listen with an open heart and to hear what you have to say. And God, help us to respond to it, to, to act on what you would have us act on. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Let's give Justin and the band a hand. I got a little bottle of water here if I have to take a shot. Well, Baptist, that's probably not a good word. If I have to take a sip, I've got a little summer cold going on. I remember hearing a story when I first started preaching about a young pastor, and he was getting ready to preach his first sermon. He was very nervous. And he asked an older pastor, what should he do? And the pastor said, take a bottle of water up there and put a little vodka in it. He said, and sip on it. It'll calm your nerves as you're preaching. So after the sermon was over, the, uh, the young preacher went to the older preacher and he said, how did I do? How was, was the sermon? He said, well, three things. He said, I told you to sip the bottle. You killed it within five minutes. You should have stopped at 12, not 1.30. And uh, the Bible says that David slew Goliath. He didn't stomp the mess out of him. So this is pure water, I promise you, if any of you are concerned. Speaking of water, you know what it's like when, when you hear the term to pour something out. I mean, you pour out a drink. We do it every day. We pour out a Coke. We pour out a drink. We pour out what's left in a, in a bottle. Probably the 4th of July, you dump some stuff out of a cooler. You know, it's always neat if, if uh, at certain times of year your kids get candy or when you were, I remember when I was a kid and we would get candy, trick-or-treating, you'd dump, we'd come home, we'd dump the candy out. As a parent, that's really cool because you can steal your kid's candy, the stuff you want at that, and as a grandparent, it's really cool too. But when you dump something out, you're getting rid of it, you're, you're doing away with it, or certainly you're, you're exposing it or you're opening it up to anybody and everything. And in Mark chapter 14 this morning, we are concluding our 15-year study out of the book of Mark today, uh, and, and it's, a, it's a really neat story about a lady who poured something out to Jesus, and, and it, it had an awesome effect on, on Jesus. And here's the first thing I want to tell you this morning. Pour out your life to Jesus Christ. What does God want from you today? More than anything else, Jesus wants you to pour yourself out to him. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 14, Now the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. Weren't they wonderful people? Wonderful people. But not during the feast, they said, or the people may riot. Now, the, during this feast time, Jerusalem, a city normally maybe twenty-five to 40,000 people, it swelled up to 200,000 people. So there are people everywhere. It's, while he was in Bethany, in verse 3, reclining at the table in the house of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard, and she broke the jar, and she poured the perfume on his head. Now, these two feasts, Passover and the Unleavened Bread, are two separate feasts, but they almost celebrate them in, as one. These, they, they commemorated the greatest event in Jewish history where the, the Jewish people had been slaves, and, and God came in, and he pulled them out of Egypt. And it was that last event where the, the, the angel of death came in, and the, 
Uh, the Jewish people put the blood of the lamb over the door and the angel passed over them and they, they were freed from Egypt. So they were celebrating these great feasts starting in two days. So this is probably Tuesday night by our counting. And Jesus is going to be betrayed on Thursday night and crucified Friday to give you a little context there. Now, it says they were in Bethany. Let me show you on a map where Bethany was. Uh, there's Bethany right there. There's the Dead Sea. And there's Jerusalem. There's Bethlehem. Now, they, you know, on a map, they can look like they're far apart. But actually, Bethlehem is four to six miles south of Jerusalem. And Bethany is about two miles from Jerusalem. So Jesus did, did the, the, the day's work here. And then they would go to Bethany. Uh, uh, they had a lot of friends there, and that's where they would stay and, and spend the night. It's on the slopes of the Mount of Olives. And this evening, they are in the home of a guy named Simon the leper. Now, he was not a professional wrestler. That was not his title or anything. It, it meant he had had leprosy. And almost certainly he had been cured because if someone had leprosy, you did not hang out in their house. You, you just didn't do it. So this was probably someone Jesus had healed, which is a great story in itself. And so they're, they're at his house. And the way they ate, it was probably all men in the room. They had horseshoe-shaped tables. And they reclined. They had pillows around. And they reclined when they ate. And they would lean probably on their left elbow. And they, they would eat. And while they're eating, this lady comes in and does something pretty bizarre. Now, we're going to look in a moment at some verses in John 12. John 12 is a sister pastor, a sister passage, and it tells us that this is Mary who was Lazarus and Martha's sister. Lazarus is the guy Jesus raised from the dead. Mary and Martha are in the Bible several times. She comes up to Jesus with a container that's in an alabaster jar. It, this would have come from Egypt. And the container itself was very expensive. And it says that it contained pure nard. That doesn't mean much to us. But this was from a plant from the Himalayans, from India. And it was extremely expensive. Look in verse 5. Verse 5 says, It could have been sold for more than a year's wage. Now, a year's wage. Think about that. A year's wage for a working man is what that meant in this day and age. For a soldier or, or for, a, for a laborer. So let's say, let's say someone was working and making 12 bucks an hour. That would translate to about $25,000 a year before Uncle Sam got his greedy paws into it. Can you imagine paying $25,000 for your brute Fabergé men or for, for cologne, for your perfume, for your wife. It was extremely expensive. A day, a, a working man's wage. And in John chapter 3, it tells us, John chapter 12, verse 3, it says that Mary took about a, about a pint of pure nard, expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the, house, and, the, and the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. Now, Mark's telling the same story. What Mark noticed was that she put the, the, the ointment and the perfume on his head. It was common when a guest came in your house 2,000 years ago in this part of the world that you would, you would take some oil and anoint their head, and you might have, if you had a servant, if you are wealthy enough, they might wash their feet. But what she did was really radical. Here's how it's radical. One, women, and, and I'm not saying this is right at all, but women didn't hang out with the men. So, like, if, if you were having couples over tonight, the men would go in one room and eat, and the women would stand outside the room and bring stuff to men. The good old days, right, guys? <laughs> Those are long gone, okay? Here's Mary. Mary, <laughs> Mary goes in. 
God's going to make me cough for doing that, isn't he? God, uh, Mary, Mary goes in in the middle of all these men, which was a no-no. She lets down her hair, which was a no-no. You did not do that. She takes this extremely expensive bottle of perfume. She breaks it, total commitment, and she pours it on Jesus' head and his feet. She gets down on her knees, and she wipes, and she's crying on his feet, and she wipes his feet dry with her hair. Now, another social custom she broke is you didn't touch people's feet in public. How many of you are still good with that custom? Listen, I'll hug you. I'll kiss you on the forehead. I'll pat you on the back. But honestly, unless you're bleeding out at the foot, I don't really want to touch your feet. And I don't mean that in an ugly way. That's still a good custom. But Mary took all her pride She took what everybody else was going to think about her and say about her, and she tossed it out the window. We're going to talk about the perfume and all that more in a moment. But what she did more than anything else, guys, is she was pouring her life out to Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you today what Jesus wants from you more than anything else, more than he wants your billfold, more than he wants anything else, he wants wants you. He wants your life. If you are a Christian today, at some point, now listen, it's only important if you want to go to heaven. At some point, you gave your life to Christ. You may have been baptized, you may have been sprinkled, you may have joined a church, but you're not a Christian unless at some point you surrendered your heart to Christ. Now, here's the problem. That's the way a Christian is supposed to continue to live. No, you don't become a Christian every day. But daily what Jesus said he wants from you and me is he doesn't want a good effort. He doesn't want part of us. He wants us daily to pour ourselves out to him. Romans 12, 1, look at this verse. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. You know the problem with a living sacrifice is we have a tendency of crawling off the altar, don't we? (laughs) That's what God's saying. You say, what does Jesus want with me? What does Jesus want to do with my life? He may want to do a lot of things. He may want you to go halfway across the world to be a missionary. He may want you to stay in Ruston and be a preacher. He may want you to do what you're doing right now in a different and a better way. But I can tell you for sure, I know this is what Jesus wants from you today. He wants you to pour your life out to him. Don't don't hold on. Don't go half-hearted. Quit making excuses. Pour your life out to Jesus Christ. I read something this week from a Bible school in a different state where the teacher was asking a little boy, what can you give to Jesus? And the boy was half-hearted, and he, he said, I can't give him much. And the teacher pushed him and said, what can you give Jesus? And the boy said, well, I guess I can give him all I can, where I am, and the best of what I have right now. And the teacher said, that's exactly what God wants. God doesn't want what what you can't give him. God wants wants what you can give him. And what you and I can give him, and what a lot of us as Christians are holding back from God, is he wants you to pour your life out to him. Friend, you don't live for Jesus by rules and regulations. It's a relationship. And when you pour yourself out to Jesus, that's how you hit a home run. Here's the second thing. Pour your stuff out to Jesus. We'll explain stuff a little more in a moment. But it goes right with it. It, You can't separate. In verse 3, 
while he was in, in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar, very expensive perfume, made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. This was probably in a five to nine inch container again. The, uh, the jar itself was very expensive from Egypt. The nard in there was from India, very, very expensive. I, I got Brenda this week to just run a little uh, Google search on expensive clones and perfumes in America. Men, you might take note of this so you will avoid it at all costs. The most expensive perfume in the world today is a Cleve Christian Signature Number 1. Now, men, make a mental note, because if your wife ever says this, fake a heart attack, do whatever you have to do, but get out of Dodge. It, it, it's priced at $12,721 an ounce. And conveniently, it's only sold in 16.9-ounce bottles. Isn't that funny? The bottle there has a, it literally has a diamond in it. So in other words, if Paul gets this for Lisa uh, for Christmas, which he should if he's a good Christian, it will only put him back $214,984. Men, can you say, that's unbelievable, isn't it? Now, the, the men's cologne is much cheaper. It's a Cleve Christian number one for men. And it's only uh, $2,350 a bottle. Isn't that interesting? As I went through this list, I noticed Brute, Fabergé, High Karate, Old Spice. None of them made this. Nothing I wear made this list, thank God. And believe me, I don't think anything my wife's ever going to wear is going to make it either. (coughs) She took this extremely expensive perfume and she poured it on Jesus' head. And we won't look at it again, but in John chapter 12, it says she poured it. She poured it on his feet. And verse 8 tells us some of the theological significance of it. She did what she could do. Remember that. That's what Jesus wants you to do this morning with your life and your stuff. Not what you can't do. Not what someone else is doing. But to do what you can do. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for my burial. And folks, the Jewish way of burial, when, you, when they died, they would wash the body and then they would anoint the body with oil and they would bury it. You remember, Jesus died near sundown on Friday. They did not have time to wash his body and anoint it with oil. And the ladies on Easter Sunday morning were going to the tomb not to celebrate the resurrection, but to do what? To anoint his body with oil. And Jesus said to this lady, whether she fully realized it or not, her act of of pouring this on Jesus was anointing and preparing his body that was fixed to be sacrificed for the sins of the world. Man, that's significant, isn't it? Okay, if you're not a Christian, you just listen for a moment, but I'm not talking to you. If you are a Christian, I want to ask you, how radical have you ever been in your generosity to God? What kind of sacrificial pouring it out to Jesus have you ever done? I I saw this week, in the year 2011, for Halloween, this is staggering, Halloween, Americans spent... $11 billion on Halloween. Vampire fangs, werewolf mask, candy. Now, I'm cool with the candy. But think about that. Folks, that is a 
That is a pretty extravagant amount of money. And how extravagant are we to Jesus Christ? You know, as a, as a pastor, sometimes it's kind of discouraging to know that a lot of people who are Christians don't even tithe. This lady didn't tithe. This lady took what may have been her wedding dowry that she was supposed to give to her future husband's family, something that was worth a year's salary, and she poured it on Jesus, completely broke it. It's gone, done. I want to challenge you. If you are a Christ follower... You pour your life out to Jesus, but folks, your billfold and everything else follows your heart. If you know how you should give and you're not giving, it is a heart problem. It is not a Wayne problem, a pastor problem, a Braden problem. It isn't your problem, is it, Braden? It's a heart problem. I want to challenge you as I challenge myself to do some radical things for Jesus Christ with your stuff. Now, here's the third thing, and this is important. You will be misunderstood. Here's, you're going to be misunderstood. When you, when you pour your life out to Jesus, when you pour your resources out to Jesus, you're going to be misunderstood. Here's why. Because most people aren't madly in love with Jesus. Most people aren't madly in love with other people. Most people don't love the church that they go to. And so when they see someone who does, you stick out like a sore thumb. You're not normal in a good way. You will be misunderstood when you jump off the high dive for Christ. Number one, you're going to be misunderstood by people who love you. But people who love you aren't going to understand. Well, they're kind of turning into a Jesus fanatic. And the kids panic, well, you're going to give away all of our inheritance. Don't give away all the inheritance. But don't hold back on doing what God's leading you to do. You'll be misunderstood even by those who love you. Here's the second thing, and this is hard, and I want you to hear me all the way through this. You're going to be misunderstood by people who have a sick heart. Now, I'm going to prove this from the Bible, and then we'll go back and explain it a little more. Verse 4 and 5. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wage and the money given to the poor and they rebuked her harshly. Passover was right around the corner. One of the things you did at Passover is you gave money and gifts to the poor. Jesus is pro-poor, <laughs> The Bible is pro-poor. It's pro, pro, it giving and taking care of people in need. But these guys were missing a bigger picture here. It says they were indignant. Literally, the word indignant there is like a horse that's mad, that's snorting, and it's taking its hoof, and it's digging it in the ground like it's fixing to bite you or kick you or something. I mean, these guys were sticking out their chest, and their faces were gnarled, and they were mad that this lady, by the way, it belonged to her, not to them anyway. Isn't that interesting? That she poured her, her stuff out for Christ. Now, you want to know another little interesting take on this is found in John. In John chapter 12, verse 4, let's look who the ringleader of this was. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, 
who was later to betray him, objected, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wage. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money back, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Now, the, the other passage tells us all the disciples were frustrated. Some of them maybe from a pure but wrong heart. They just didn't understand it. John tells us pretty clearly that Judas was upset. Folks, I want to tell you, when you start getting radical for Jesus, some religious people are going to be unhappy with you. Our church gets radical for Jesus. Religious people will be unhappy. And sometimes it's because they got a hole right here in their heart. That's tough things to say, but this is in the Bible for a reason. Here's what I don't understand. Now, I'm talking again mostly to Christians. Why is it okay for most of us here to live in homes that by the world standards are pretty extravagant? Why is it okay for us to to drive cars that by the world standards are pretty extravagant? Why is it okay to And by the way, I'm not objecting to most of these things if you handle everything else the way you should. I'm just trying to make you think. Why is it okay to spend ooh Googles of money on country clubs or eating the best foods or making sure your kids can play on the absolute best sports teams? But when somebody wants to get radical for Jesus, it's wrong. I pastored four churches. This one and the last two, we've built buildings, we've bought land, we've done things. And every time we did it, I, I believe we did it properly. We prayed hard. We did it as a team. We did it as a church. But we always got criticized. We always got, why couldn't we could give that money to missions? We could give that to poor people. And my goodness, as long as I'm pastor of this church, we're going to give money to missions. We're going to give money to poor people. We don't need to neglect the house of God here. And I'm challenging you and I'm telling you that when you pour your life and your stuff out for Jesus, those who love you and maybe those who something's wrong in here may hit you pretty hard. But you know what? Jesus said this woman was doing the right thing. That's what you got to hang your hat on. And let me give you this last good thought. The results of pouring it out to Jesus will be wonderful. Okay, you'll get attacked. I mean, Mary got hit hard in between the eyes. But when you do this, man, the results are wonderful. Here's the first thing. This is how you really honor Jesus. How do I honor Jesus? How do I honor Jesus? Not by winning the Bible argument. Look in verse 6 through 8. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing. That word beautiful means a winsome, wonderful, wholesome. Basically, Jesus is saying what she just did was awesome thing. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for the burial. Again, she was... was, didn't certainly fully understand, but she was preparing Jesus for the 
the death of the world, sins of mankind. I want to tell you, honor Jesus the absolute most when you take your life and you every day say, here it is, Jesus, it's yours. When you take your resources and your things and you say, Jesus, here it is completely. By the way, here's one of the cool things about Jesus. It's the size of the sacrifice he measures, not the size of the gift. Some of you may say, well, you know, I can't do much financially. Maybe I can give a tithe and $50 more. Listen, if that's a sacrifice for you, that means more to Jesus than Bill Gates giving a million dollars to his own foundation. I promise you. Jesus is grading grading on the size of the sacrifice, not the size of the gift. When he looks at your life, he's not grading you on what you can do for him. He's grading on how much of you you give to him. You honor Jesus this way. Here's the second thing. You inspire others. You inspire other people. When you pour your life out, when you pour your resources out, it inspires others. Mary is an inspiration today because of what she did. Several years ago, it was 2004, I guess it was nine years ago, our church was trying to get out of debt. We had a lot of debt. We had a committee, group of people, and we, we were praying, trying to figure out how we could get out of debt. And we, we were going to have a financial campaign, ask people to give above their tithe. And it's hard to do that when you're not building anything. We're just saying, okay, the, the bank looks bad and we want to make it look good. That's, that's a harder sell to do that. And so we, we had, uh, I know, Andre, I think you were on that committee. We had several people, and we, we got up on Sunday night, and we shared. And one Sunday night, Dr. Haley, Ben Haley, got up, and he shared what he and his family were going to give towards that campaign. And it was a huge amount of money, huge amount of money. So much so, I fainted. They had to do CPR on the stage to wake me up. But, but even when I was fainting, I had this big smile on my face. It was awesome. Uh, but I want to tell you, when I went home that night, My wife and I were going to give sacrificially, but you know what he did? He pushed my bar up because of his his sacrifice. You inspire people when they see that you're going with Jesus 100%. Here's the third thing. Man, you meet needs. You meet real needs. When, When you pour out your life, when you pour out your stuff, Jesus is going to use that in Ruston He's going to use that in Louisiana and around the world to meet needs of other people. And the last thing I want to tell you is you'll be blessed. You'll be blessed. Look in verse 9. What a great verse. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached, throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. You know, I'll paraphrase that. Jesus was saying, even 2,000 years later in Ruston, Louisiana, in July, they're going to be talking about Mary because of what she did by pouring her life and her stuff out for me. Folks, you can't outgive God. You give God your life. It's a paradox. That's when you get life back. When you pour your stuff out to Christ, you can't outgive God. You give God everything you can of yourself and your stuff, and God will bless you far more than you can ever imagine. And that's our challenge today. Let's pour it out for Jesus. Will you pray with me?
you're a Christian, I think the charge is clear and it's simple, not easy, but to let your life go to Christ. I pray you're doing that now. If you're not a Christian, the charge today is to give your life to him. Would you pray with me and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I want to turn from my sins. I believe you're God's son and that you died and arose for me. Jesus, come into my heart this morning and I give you my life today. Let me have your attention just for a second. We're going to stand and we're going to sing and I want to challenge you to respond to what God said. Maybe you just ask Christ in your heart. Are you ready to do that? Would you come and let one of our ministers, let us help you solidify that with Jesus. Maybe you're here today and God's leading you to join our church. We would love for you to do that. And one way you can do that is you can just come down the aisle in a moment and we'll help you with that decision. The rest of us here who are Christians, where you're standing, are at the altar. Thinking of what Mary did, I challenge you to pour your life out to Jesus. Let go. Pour your stuff out. Let go. You'll never regret it. Let's stand. As God leads you, you respond to him.